0: Well, thank you, uh, Rob. Uh, good morning, Austin Bluffs. It's great to be with you. I have uh, a great fondness in my, in my heart for, uh, for this place. Uh, over the years, um, not only in friendship with uh, two of my favorite families in the world, the Zitlos and the Gentries, but just for this church family, a faithful, faithful church, and have had opportunity to be with you, be blessed by you uh, over the years. Uh, the men. We had a great time on Friday night and uh, yesterday morning, so you were a blessing to me, brothers. Thank you for that. And just as um, mom and dad, Michelle and I, I just want to say thank you to all of you for your love, your care, your investment in in our son Micah over the last two summers. It's been a, a blessing to him, I know, and a blessing to us. So thanks. Good morning. Why don't you grab your Bible and uh, make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Our title this morning is The Contentment of Grace. And uh, we're going to sort of wrap up where we've been in this theme of weakness for the men. But also, ladies, we'll let you eavesdrop in on this text of Scripture. as certainly it's applicable to all of us. And uh, so as as you get to 2 Corinthians, either... In your hard copy or on your digital device, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the exposition this morning. God, it is, it is good to come to you, our blessed Redeemer. It is good for us to be still and know that you are God. It is good to find the rest that comes as your people congregate together eager to receive the truth from your word. And so, Spirit of God, we trust you to move among us, to take the sword that is yours and wield it well in our souls for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you frequent Chick-fil-A, you're quite familiar with the response that's given when you say thank you, right? It's my pleasure. Uh, I love hearing that. I love Chick-fil-A, so I love hearing it's my pleasure. Uh, Something happens, right? You express gratitude, you hear this response, and I I just got to tell you, my mind immediately goes to this uh, phrase when I think of this text of Scripture, this dialogue between the Lord and the Apostle Paul in, in this text, because a circumstance has happened in Paul's life to which... God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, to which Paul says, in essence, if that's the case, then it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to boast in weakness. This, of course, is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, perhaps the most familiar of uh, maybe Paul's verses to you, to the Corinthian church, and we're going to look at this whole section to try to understand a bit of a bizarre encounter that the Apostle Paul had, and uh, sort of a strange way in which things he chooses to boast in. But the the sort of introduction of this content and this theme this morning might be summarized really in this statement. The key to understanding the radical way of human weakness that produces spiritual power is this title that I have given to our sermon this morning, The Contentment of Grace. Being content in my grace is what the Lord says to the Apostle Paul, for power is perfected in weakness. We might say it this way when you are content in grace, brothers and sisters, then you take pleasure in weakness. Now, I told the men over the last few days that I just rarely heard a sermon, much less a series of sermons on the content or the subject of weakness as I was growing up as a young man, or for that matter, even as a middle-aged man. I just was called to be strong, to be courageous, and of course, those are great calls in the scriptures, but rarely was I called to glory in my weakness, to boast in brokenness, to uh, sort of flaunt over my failures in these places where all I can do is cry out, Lord, I don't know what to do. I feel weak, I feel needy, I feel inadequate, I feel insecure. And thankfully, as the years have gone by and I've been discipled by the word of God, by the spirit of God, I've come to find this great contentment in being able to say, it's, this is what you have for me, Lord. It's my pleasure to declare my weakness. You might say, even for some of you this morning, that's crazy. That is crazy talk. Who would do that? And I would tell you, though it is crazy talk, the people who would do that are those who would want real spiritual power in their lives. Not the propped up power of the false identities that maybe we so easily cling to, not the fleshly strength of being those who are impressive to the world, but those who want the power of Christ to rest on them. Any of you out there this morning? You want the power of Christ to rest on you, oh Lord, please do that in my life and in this church right that is what it, what is that, but the Spirit of God operating in and through you rather than you operating on your own power and being motivated by the things that you feel competent to accomplish and so that 's where we 're going here in our text this morning that gives you sort of the heartbeat in some sense of where The men and I have been over the last few days, ladies, and now let's just move back to the beginning and let's read our text together. Saint Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because Paul trusts the promise of God's grace more than his experience, more than any experience, and here we see a pretty grand experience, he gets excited about the right things. So this morning, we're just going to look at two spiritual experiences that produce two very different effects. That's Our outline, if you're taking notes, two spiritual experiences that produce two very different effects. There's just two points that point to two different experiences. The first, this amazing experience and this modest boast. And then an awful experience and an exuberant boast. And I find, even as I read this text yet again, I find all too often I'm boasting in the wrong experiences wanting to talk about the wrong things and minimize the things that I ought to be boasting in. And so let's look first at this amazing experience and a modest boast. And there's some, there's some sort of teaching things in here we got to work through. And so uh, I, I hope that you'll be able to sort of follow along, gain some new insight as to what in the world this account is that Paul is talking about. Now this section that we're in here in 2 Corinthians. And I understand we're sort of parachuting into a text of Scripture and you haven't gotten the, the first 11 chapters. But this section has often been described as Paul's fool's discourse. You say, well, why is it called that? Because he is, he is taking a page out of his opponent's playbook these Gnostic sophists, these false teachers that had, that had infiltrated the Corinthian church, he's taking a play, uh, a page out of their playbook in an effort to get the attention of the Corinthians, to sort of wake them up. The, the, the servants of Satan had infiltrated the church, they were enslaving the people. And so he knows that what he is doing here is, is what he would call foolish boasting. That it's sort of madman talk. But he says it's necessary nonetheless. So in beginning of verse one, he says, "I must go on boasting." Now he has just done boasting in the previous chapters in almost sort of a mocking way, like, here are these false teachers who are doing all kinds of boasting to impress you with their credentials. Well, I'll boast too, but it's not going to be in the things that is, is what they're boasting in. I'll boast in my trials. I'll boast in my weaknesses. I'm not going to show you my resume other than to say you're my resume. And so he's just taken now the the very sort of manner that these false teachers have used and turned it on its head to really arrest the attention of the Corinthian church. He's not boasting in his credentials, his courageous survival of sort of insane suffering. He's not boasting in his ethnic and religious heritage, But here in his spiritual experience, look at the end of verse 1. He says, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. You say, why this? Why is this the thing that Paul chooses to boast in to sort of get the attention of the Corinthians onto the right things? Well, in 1 Corinthians, we see the obsession, right, that the church in Corinth had with the spectacular, the ecstatic, the phenomenal, Perhaps these pseudo-apostles in Corinth had really fueled the desire in the church to hear these amazing, spectacular, mystical experiences. And like his previous foolish boasts in this section, he is really going toe-to-toe with these false apostles to demonstrate that even by the Corinthians' immature standard of vetting leaders, Paul is indeed not inferior to them. I love what one commentator says. History is littered with the tales of frauds who have secured and deluded followers by claiming to have some divine mission from some divine vision. Now Paul knows that there's nothing to be gained by this. He said that there in the the middle of verse one. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, by his boasting in this kind of experience. It's not that he didn't have them, but he was not going to use them. Listen, Austin Bluffs, he wasn't going to use them to win followers. He wasn't going to use them to try to manipulate them, to try to impress them. He knew, among other things, that all he would be doing is winning them to himself and not to Christ. What was this amazing experience that Paul had? Well, we hear about it in verses two to six. Let me try to walk walk you through it, see if we can't gain a better understanding of what Paul experienced. First thing that we have to acknowledge that this was one crazy awesome experience that the Lord did in Paul's life. I mean, just look at verses two and three. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up. He was snatched away. It says he was snatched away up into the third heaven. Now, in our understanding of uh, biblical cosmology, we, we think of the third heaven. Well, the first heaven is just uh, the, the sort of the atmosphere around us, the heavens that we can see. The second heaven in our understanding would be that of sort of outer space, the, the, the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars. And the third heaven is described theologically as the abode of God. It's not a where, it's a what. Right? I hate to burst your bubble, but heaven is not a physical place beyond Pluto. I don't even know if Pluto's still a planet. Is Pluto still a planet? Um, it is a planet? Okay, good. That's good. I'm learning. Austin Bluffs is instructing me. I appreciate it. We can't send a Mars rover out to Mars and beyond and get to the abode of heaven. It's the, you could get to the outer reaches of space and you will never reach what Paul describes as the third heaven. Or what he describes there in, in a synonymous term in verse 3, caught up into paradise. It's used as a synonym here just in case you think that you can reach the third heaven. He says that's not it. It's the paradise of God. See it there in verse three? Paul was taken there. And can we just, can we just acknowledge like that's, that's like crazy cool. Right? I mean, I, 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 the Lord did something in Paul's life that was unbelievable. He doesn't even know how to describe. Second thing we can sort of understand from the passage. Paul doesn't know how it worked. Two times he says, in verses two and verses three, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. I don't know how this happened. It wasn't me. Uh, So for me to go and uh, start writing a book and jump on the conference circuit, tell everybody about my uh, my third heaven experience and sort of touch my clothes that have been to the third heaven and he goes it doesn't make any sense to do that since first off I don't even know whether it was real physical event or it was something God just revealed to me in a vision I love what uh, Derek Prime one of my favorite commentators says boasting about spiritual experiences is especially inappropriate since if they are genuine they are God's gift I I mean, I don't have to describe to you how many frauds of our day love to boast in spiritual experiences that can't be verified, that can't be uh, tested. So whether they're true or not, they ought to take a page out of Paul's book and says, like, I don't know how it worked. Uh, if, if, If it was something that was true and legitimate, it was a gift that God gave to me, not to make me famous, but to help me understand the weakness that I possess and the God of glory that is beyond me. Third thing we can see from this text about this experience that, God, or that Paul had was Paul knew that this was a private matter. It was a private experience. And he was even forbidden to repeat it, which he obeys, right? Look at, look at verse 4. And he heard things that cannot be told Which man may not utter. So we don't know what it was. But what it was, listen, it was for Paul. You see, 14 years earlier, Paul had been radically transformed from the Christian persecuting Saul. And the Spirit of God now was helping Paul work out his doctrine. Whatever happened, in this amazing spiritual experience was God equipping Paul for his future mission. And I think it's safe to say it was vital to his spiritual growth, and that he he never told anyone indicates that, that Paul knew that it was for him and him alone. He never included it in his testimony. Right? We give testimonies and we tend to maybe include those pretty dramatic, phenomenal moments that God arrested our attention. And Paul never included this in his testimony. Why? Well, it was private. It was subjective. It was individual. It was not something everyone should expect to have repeated for them. Paul was, we understand, right, a unique player in the history of redemption. Calvin explained it this way. This thing happened for Paul's own sake. For a man who had awaiting him troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts needed to be strengthened in a special way to keep him from giving way and to help him to persevere undaunted. That's a good description. The Lord just knew Paul was going to face things that uh, just the, the, the average man couldn't handle. And so he was graciously, in Paul's weakness, giving him this phenomenal experience to strengthen, equip, encourage, and give him a steadfastness of heart. The fourth thing that we can understand here is we know he speaks of this in the third person so as not to make himself the hero of even his own true story. It's kind of an odd way, you know, when people start talking about themselves in the third person, you're like, uh, you know, I'm right here, and why are you talking about yourself in the third person? Well, Paul does this here, and he does it for a very specific reason. Look at verses five and six. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, we know that, that it's actually him that Paul is talking about himself because then in verse 7, he speaks of what happens after this in his life to keep him from spiritual pride and, uh, you know, writing books and making a lot of money on his experiences, so what do we make of the way Paul speaks of himself? Well, I think quite simply, this was his way of expressing humility, and Paul knew he needed that. This experience, I mean, can we just say that this experience is a great, a great brag for the common man? Like, if you or I went through something like this, we'd be like, I can't wait to tell you what I just experienced. I mean, uh. Paul here, though he he's determined not to. I have a hard time relating to this. You know, when when something cool happens to me, or maybe those off chance you like, I meet I met a famous person. You're like, I can't wait to tell a perfect stranger. I'm humbled by here. Paul has this amazing spiritual experience, and he is determined to even speak of it. To as 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 to minimize his own role in it. Why? Well, and, and here's where we get to really the the heartbeat of this subject of weakness. He knew the he knew the peril. Listen, he knew the peril of spiritual pride. He knew the peril of spiritual pride. It was what these apostles, these false apostles in Corinth, were full of. And can I just tell you? Brothers and sisters, spiritual pride is the most heinous of all prides. It's one thing to say, hey, check out my car. Have you heard about the vacation that we got to to take? You like my hair? (laughs) On and on our boasts can go, whether they're subtle or not. But the worst is, you want to hear how close to God I am? You know, I, I have something you don't have. It is insidious, it is divisive, and just at the very bottom l- level of this, you lose sight of the cross and of God's grace and you have turned the attention on to you. And if there is a lesson that we can learn from Paul this morning, as the brothers and I have looked at some of his other texts over the weekend, it is that Paul was not going to do anything that would detract from the glory of God to turn the attention onto him. Paul would not have his spiritual experiences be the authority in the church, period. He'd rather speak of uh, this, this picture that we saw at the end of chapter 11 of being in the basket like a little child taken out with the trash than to tell a story that would make people follow him over Jesus. He did not want people trusting in experience over trusting in grace. He made a choice. He made a choice. Make no mistake. He made a choice to not draw attention to his own experience of the supernatural so that people would not think of him as anything more than a bond slave of Christ and a herald of the gospel. That's what he says there at the end of verse six. I would refrain from it so that no one may think of more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. We so often get that backwards, don't don't we? Like we know who we really are and we want people to think better of who we really are as opposed to, you know what? I, I hope actually people have a lower view of me than I have of me. Man, I don't want them thinking that there's anything special in me. Anything that is of any value in me is the gracious and glorious work of the gospel that has been applied to my life. I don't want you to think of me with uh, a medal around my neck because I got up the wall first. I just want, Paul says, I just want you to think of me, Corinthians, as a lowly basket writer. Constantly in need of God's grace, and I am totally content in that. Totally content in that. Maybe you ask, Well, Mark, have you ever had an experience like this? What? I'm going to tell you if I have. (laughs) Right? And you shouldn't either. I mean, that's Paul's point. One thing I will tell you I want to live with this kind of selfless service to others. Making sure that people don't walk away thinking something more of me than is true based on what they see or hear in and from me. This is our responsibility. So I I just, let's, again, let's just pause at this first point to say, Paul had this truly amazing experience, and his boast was modest at best, was it not? Not? There's no neon billboards going off. He had this amazing experience, and he's, I'm not, I, I, not going to talk about it. But if you want to see what he did boast greatly in, well, then let's keep reading. This is our second point, an awful experience and an and exuberant boast. It's funny how we tend to be quicker to share the good things and the bad things, right? We learn how to, to share these things so as not to be overtly arrogant, but just sort of enough that on Instagram or Facebook we get the likes. They kind of look like cool stuff happens in our life, people around us. And this is what makes what we see here in this text just so crazy. Paul says, no thanks to the amazing experience, share, And says, my pleasure to the share that is painful and weak. Here's what I'm talking about, verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should Leave me. Just stop there. This thorn in the flesh for Paul was debilitating. It was humiliating. And it came from who? It came from God. It came from God. You say, well, what was this thorn? Well, we don't know. There's all kinds of speculation as to what this thorn in the flesh is that Paul had, from a physical ailment to a, a de- you know, demon-possessed messengers of Satan who were just doggedly uh, bullying him, pursuing him, stalking him, uh, just, just wanting to make Paul's life miserable. Uh, uh, we don't know what it was. I have my own speculations, but actually the purpose of it is clear, and he says it twice, to keep me from becoming conceited. You see it there in verse 7. And I think actually, brothers and sisters, in God's glorious plan for the scriptures to reach all the way through time to us today, he withholds the information so that, that we can apply it to the various thorns in our life. And not go, oh, well, that was a physical ailment, because that can only be applied then to physical ailments. If someone has cancer, then maybe you can apply what Paul went through. But he, he withholds exactly what it was so that we can go, okay, we understand what it is to face these thorns in our lives and the Lord's purpose is for them to us. This is the purpose. Thorns given by God to puncture our pride. They empty us of ourselves. They keep us dependent. They drive us to prayer. And they force us to rest. And we all have them, don't we? This is what God does through thorns, brothers and sisters, unless you listen to the lies of the enemy. Unless you listen to the lies and let the enemy convince you that God doesn't care. Let the enemy convince you that God, you know, a God of love would never do this to his children. That 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 he isn't loving to make you hurt. David Garland says it this way, stakes in the flesh are not good But they are also not bad because they may convey a word from God if we are attuned to hear it. So who are you listening to? Are you listening to the lies of the enemy that says that thorn in the flesh, that trial, that weakness that you're experiencing right now is not for your good, or are you listening to the voice of the Spirit that says, I want you to see how weak you are so that my grace may be made magnificent in your life. Garland goes on to say this, times come in our lives when we must learn to accept what is inescapable and then listen for what God is saying to us through it. We might find that we are mistaken about what we think is best for us and for God's work. You think you know what's best? And I can just tell you that in the course of my life in ministry, there's plenty of times where I thought I knew what's best. This is the way it should play out. And uh, it's not how it played out. I mean, we could spend the morning going around talking about those things, I'm quite certain. See, some lessons may never be learned. some lessons may never be learned without thorns. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. Saying my pleasure to weakness is not the same as loving pain. And how do we know this? Well, because we see what Paul's doing here. He's praying. He's praying earnestly. He's praying repeatedly, right? Verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should leave me. Three times, like Jesus, three times praying to his Father. Father, if it's your will. Will you take this cup from me? Father, if it's your will, will you take this cup from me? Father, if it's your will, will you take this cup from me? But your will be done, not mine. Jesus suffered anguish knowing what awaited him there in Gethsemane as he was on the way to the cross and he asked his father if there was another way to which his father said what? No, this is my will for you. You see, brothers and sisters, persistent prayer and contentment in God's grace must go together. So that when he says no, you hear yes to the strength that he always supplies. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Brothers and sisters of Austin Bluffs, the way of escape more often than not is a renewed experience of our Savior's grace. You get that? I mean, that's a a great lesson to take away. The way of escape more often than not is a renewed experience of our Savior's grace. I love my brothers and sisters around the world. I have Good Ethiopian uh, brothers and sisters who in their family faced uh, communist persecution many a time uh, where their lives could have easily been taken. And you know, anytime you speak to a member of the persecuted church and they ask you to pray for them, they don't ask that you would take away the persecution or the suffering. You know what they ask for? That you would give them the strength to endure it. The Lord would give them the strength to endure it, that they would have a renewed experience of God's grace in their life. You want to know more of the love and grace of God in your life? Do you? It will require some discomfort and pain, it will require some thorns. <laughs> I say that and I go, man, we brought this guy all the way from California to tell us that. That was like not a very encouraging, happy message so that you will learn to say, my pleasure to weakness. Verse nine. But he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will say my pleasure. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But we see that, Paul's persistent prayer was answered, wasn't it? He said, you have what you need to deal with this thorn in the flesh, Paul. You have my grace, and that's enough. F.F. Bruce said it this way, his power was indeed answered, not by deliverance from the affliction, but by his receiving the necessary grace to bear it. And God's power being, wait for it, perfected in the weaknesses you feel. So brothers, you can fill in your wives, your kids on all that we talked about this weekend, but we all can hear this, right? God's power right now in your weaknesses, the ones you choose to boast in because you just aren't up for the task and you know it and you're not trying to pretend or fool anybody, the trials that you have zero control over that the Lord has brought into your life, you're just going to go, okay, look, I know this is for my good, and I know that God is walking me a path to demonstrate his power in glory in my life in ways that, that no other experiences could bring to me. Not being transported to the third heaven, but walking with this thorn right now. You want to know what power perfected in weakness is? It's just shorthand for the cross of Christ. It's th- th- this boasting in foolishness of Paul is his boasting in the cross. Paul embraced his Gethsemane in that basket coming down from the wall of Damascus. The city he came as a strong man to demonstrate his power over others. And now here he boasts in the foolishness of the cross that is his power. Verse 9 is the climax of the epistle of 2 Corinthians. It's the very core of the message that Paul wanted the Corinthians to hear. And just listen, really, to the buildup that comes here in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, "...for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had the sentence, we had received the sentence of death. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead." Chapter 4, verse 7, you know this one. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in affliction and hardships and calamities. And here he says in chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is the anthem of Paul's ministry. This is the anthem of this letter. This is the anthem, brothers and sisters, of the glorious gospel of God's grace to you. You will not rightly worship and enjoy the beauty and glory of God if you don't also boast in your own weaknesses. This is the flow and the glorious conclusion of this text. Don't miss it. Paul is content in grace. We see that at the beginning of verse 9. At the end of verse 9, we see that he takes pleasure in weakness. And then at the end, of that was in the middle. So he's content in grace, takes pleasure in weakness. And then we get to the end of verse 9, and we see it's all because he wants the power of Christ In his life, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. Can you say that this morning? I'm content with the weaknesses that I face in this life. I am content with the insults that I bear. I am content with the hardships the persecutions, the calamities. Let your eyes fall on that last phrase of verse 10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is where we've been driving men all weekend. When I'm weak, actually, that is then where I am strong. Without without this, our strength is It's just about hard work. It's just about courage under fire. It's just about strength in trial. But with this, you know what it is? It's worship. It's abiding. It's a life that's lived to the glory of God. Friends, it is not my weakness plus God's strength equals my power. It is my weakness plus God's strength that equals God's power. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. In every weakness, in every insult, in every hardship, in every persecution, in every calamity, that we would boast in the cross of Christ, so that when you are at your weakest, maybe it's this morning. Then you are truly strong in faith. You're content in grace. You're exuberant in praise and worship to your God. So, friends, can I just say maybe you're going through something right now and perhaps it feels bigger than you can handle on your own. Can I just say what a gift that is? What a gift it is. Because the stuff that you feel like you can handle, what do you end up doing? You handle it. And the power of God rarely gets seen in your life because you handled it, because you're competent. Because you're capable. So when you have something and you get to the place and the weight of it is greater than you can bear, when the thorns hurt beyond what you're able to fix and you go, like, I, just, I, I have nowhere to turn. I feel utterly at the end of myself. I feel broken and weak. It is then and there that grace flows, that the power of God is put on display So, friends, be content in his grace. Boast in the right places our weakness, his power. Amen? Amen. And so, God, we just thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul that we have looked at this weekend and this morning. Thank you for the simple, powerful, clear truths of what we are to boast in. Not in ourselves, not in our own glory, not in what we are capable of, and I'm quite certain there are a lot of really, really capable people here, Lord, but let this be a congregation that boasts in weakness, so that the power of God, your power, would be put on display in their lives, in this church, in Colorado Springs, and beyond. In your name I pray, amen.